All views and opinions in this podcast are not meant to offend or hurt the sentiments of including but not limited to any person living or dead, religion or ethnic group, community or country. Indian food is so much more than dal, butter chicken or samosa. The average Indian isn't even remotely aware of the tremendous culinary diversity the country has to offer. If the average Indian isn't aware, the world surely hasn't a clue. And on this podcast, we're talking about all sorts of interesting regional Indian cuisines that just don't get the love they deserve. My name is Roxanne Bambot and this is Beyond Butter Chicken. Growing up in Mumbai, I got a taste of Gujarati food early on and I've often relished every bit of it. During summer, I'd wait for mango season just to get my fill of un- unlimited amras at a restaurant serving Gujarati thali. It's a cuisine I'm so familiar with, but I know that a lot of people don't exactly share my enthusiasm for this regional fare. So on this episode of Beyond Butter Chicken, I'm talking to someone who has made city folk fall in love with Gujarati food. Pinky Dikshit is the owner of Som, an extremely popular Gujarati restaurant in Mumbai, India. Its reputation draws every single celebrity chef that visits the city for a meal. Welcome to the podcast, Pinky. It is so great to have you here. I'm so thrilled you're doing this. I have to say thank you so, so much. Delighted to be here, Roxanne. And uh, it's just such an honor to be here and to hear that introduction. My God, it feels like you're talking about somebody else. No, I'm very much talking about you and your fabulous restaurant. So let's just jump right into it. For someone who's listening in and doesn't know anything, let's start with what is Gujarati cuisine all about? Or rather, how would you describe Gujarati food to someone who's never eaten it? Oh, well, you know, to me, Gujarati cuisine is home because that's what I've grown up with. And for somebody who doesn't know it, it's primarily a vegetarian cuisine that's extremely ingenious, innovative and extremely frugal cuisine in which we try and make the most happen with the least amount of resources and ingredients. I have to say that is, I I think that's the perfect uh, description of it. And I like the use of the word frugal. Because we come from a state which is almost 60% dry, arid climate. And the only season you will see vegetables or green in is probably monsoon and then a little bit of winter. Yeah, I think most of it is uh, you've got to go with the flow. So dairy and pulse plays a very big part in our our, uh, cuisine. Yeah. So I know a lot of people have a misconception when it comes to Gujarati food. uh, And I know this because friends will always say it. I mean, you know, growing up in Bombay, we take it with a pinch of salt also just because we enjoy it and maybe have developed a palate for it. But I think the main misconception comes that a lot of Gujarati food is only sweet. Means if it's uh, food from Gujarat, then it must have loads of sugar in it or loads of jaggery in it. Would you say that one, this is true, is uh, sweet really a prevailing flavor, even in savory dishes? Or is this just, you know, something people have overdone and stretched? I think, you know, Gujarati food has a very nice, unique balance of salt, spice, sour. And it's very much akin to the Thai cuisine, if you look at it. Because even there, if you eat a simple dish like a Pad Thai, you yeah. get your jaggery, you get your nampla, you get your soya. And it's all probably got to do with the fact that both places are a very tropical weather situation and your body needs all of that. We need the sugar, 
we need the salt to maintain our isotonic balances yeah. and as a result of which in the absence of Gatorade in those days i'm sure they figured <laughs> out you know nice balance of salt sugar sweet and yeah i must say by the time it comes to bombay from where you know from gujarat there is always an overplay on sugar and then that overplay gets misconceptualized into it's too sweet yeah i you think know? so do you think it's also because restaurants do that because they feel like that's the palate that they're trying to cater to i don't i don't mean your restaurant i mean no. generally um do you think that's what's happened that you know it's oh because it's gujarati uh, food we should make it slightly sweeter and then it's gotten that reputation like i'm saying it's a cuisine that if it's done by somebody who's not grown up eating it mm. it's very very easy to strike the wrong balance yeah and then But, if i'm expecting a bihari cook to make it out of learning and not out of habit it's very easy he will overplay it ah that makes sense i didn't think of it that way yeah so if i have to feed a guest or rather you have to feed a guest a typical gujarati meal what would some of the star dishes be like like what i mean what do you think of when it when we talk about gujarati food what's a typical meal like or top 5 dishes so a gujarati meal for me would be ideally a thali mhm because that's mm-hmm. our daily staple and it's uh, something that encourages you to add a nutritional balance as well as a flavor uh, base and if you look at the gujarati thali it's got so many components it leaves you spoiled for choice so it starts off with those little little chutney achar the fresh pickle and you know whatever seasonal then you go on to your main courses which would be your potato your one kathol which is your pals then your dal your kadhi your green vegetable and then you'll have of course the far sandwich everybody happily calls snakes afterwards <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's going to be a question that comes up as well we'll talk about the snakes at that point <laughs> so then in the snake section we do work with like a fried farsana steamed one uh, maybe a sort of a, a, a half like a yogurt base something to cool the palate and cleanse it in between your meals and the other strange things gujus do which i have grown up but i don't really enjoy is having the dessert in between the meal in between at the shira beach i mean matlab uh, so not right at the end is somewhere yeah, in the middle it's always a part of the meal and then there's something else for dessert maybe so like your shira or your jalebi or your basundi or whatever comes with your meal it it doesn't agree with my palate but it's part of like in a muslim meal it would be a sweet and then a meetha or a, i mean a tikka and then a, you know but yeah. you know everything comes together yeah and it sounds really elaborate the thali sounds like a meal that five people need to eat and not one but how do you manage to digest everything because you just rattled off at least 10 dishes Uh-huh. no so i think you know what happens is in our homes when we like this is a traditional thali which you would do in your entertaining or it's a special occasion but even ghar ke liye you know uh, we used to have this uh, setup at home when we were growing up where uh, mondays was moong and tuesdays was uh, matki and wednesdays was uh, something else and friday i remember because it was mata ji ka din there was chana so your pals for the day was pretty much decided then there was if you choose to make it sukha then you'd have a gila like a dal or a kadhi with it and there would be one vegetable dish so it's 
almost like you're doing what the modern day meal prep is, right? You know, like we have all these videos of meal prepping and you yes. see, especially in the West, they'll, yes. they'll meal prep for the whole week and put it in the freezer. Only you're making it fresh, but yes. you have decided the menu well in advance. Yes, it makes life easy. Plus, it's also a situation where we ensure that we get all the, you know, the protein, the, the carbs, all that we need to get in because like I'm saying, ours is a very frugal cuisine mm-hmm. and to make so much protein happen on a vegetarian diet it's got to be nicely put together yeah and you know today we have a very easy lifestyle but you know in the earlier days I think the the labor that they did or the the exercise level or you know the 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 exertion level was heavy so to it took to add to that you would need a nutritious meal to go absolutely and you probably ate before you left home so that uh, you're not going to order a swiggy or a scootsy to get <laughs> yeah. halfway through the day, you know. Yeah, there's nice no... substantial meal with two, uh, you know, like proper two meals in the day. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I love that you mentioned um, the farsan and the snakes. And for people that don't understand why we're saying snakes in this funny accent, it's just because what we actually mean is snacks yeah. for people um, that are not familiar with how Gujaratis um, have an accent or how most Indians have an accent. Sometimes they, we call the snacks snakes. But I love that you mentioned um, the farsan and the nashta because that, I mean, to me, that's like heaven and it's legendary. You know, like everybody knows that if you have a Gujarati friend like that lunchbox or if you go to their house, it's like a treasure trove of all these things. So, you know, how important is it in, say, a Gujarati household to have this? And is it something that has been made at home or is it something you outsource? Like I know at the restaurant, you all now have another section for sweets and snacks and things like that. But would you go to a shop and buy it or would a traditional Gujarati household be making these all year round yes actually a traditional household makes all of these so in most Gujarati homes one day in the week when the kitchen is slightly light they would either do it themselves or get somebody to come home and make all the gachya the chivda the farsan that we needed to make sometimes even basics like kakra would be Mm -hmm. done at home and stored for the week so it's fresh and you know that it's you know made with good oil at home and good ingredients yeah. And I like, I like that you mentioned the kakra and uh, I know another staple is uh, thepla. And how would you translate this for someone who has no idea? Like, well, how would you describe, a, say, a kakra and how would you describe a thepla? Because they're both round and flat and delicious. <laughs> <laughs> No, for me, I, the easiest way to describe a kakra to somebody who's not familiar with it is like a, it's a whole wheat cracker. It's mm-hmm. a large whole wheat cracker. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes spice, sometimes flavored a little. That's the uh, variations of it. But a basic yeah. kakra is actually, you know, when I was talking to my mother a few years ago and I said, Mama, where is this kakra coming from? And she said, you know, when when chapatis were remaining, what yeah. they would do is take it on the tawa and take a piece of bundled up cloth and crispen them up. Ah. So you wouldn't waste those rotis that were left behind. And then those could be used for chai the next day. And again, this comes back to how you described it as being a frugal cuisine. I just love that. And I love the no wastage as well. Yes. And how would you describe thepla? Thepla is basically your meal on the go. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a spice wheat flour dough mm-hmm. that you do with uh, either methi or plain or even grated dudi. And it's like our go-to when we're traveling. You must have seen. <laughs> I, I haven't seen. I have done. 
I have to say it might be the Gujarati staple, but every Indian wants to travel with some snack, and most of them, at least the ones from Mumbai or in the state of Maharashtra and Gujarat, come loaded with theplas, and it's wonderful. You don't have to reheat them. You don't have to do anything. You just eat them. It's you the just roll them snack. and eat them. Yeah, it's the it really is the perfect snack. So you mentioned about how you know. it is seasonal cooking in fact most of regional indian cuisine tends to be seasonal it's uh, maybe very trendy now but this is how we've always eaten and i know with gujarati food there is very distinctly a winter cuisine and yes. a summer cuisine and it's exciting because i i know when winter hits or when the temperature drops and i walk through a market i live very close to a local um, vegetable and fruit market for bhajigali for you uh, but for people that don't know it's just a local market and i can see certain ingredients that come out and then there's one vendor that i know and rushina told me this he said he is my vendor for all gujarati winter vegetables and then you've got this plethora of um, dishes and things that happen and one of course being very popularly the famous undiu gujarati undiu that is being made in the winter so can you talk us through the difference in the food that's cooked in the summer months and say the food that's cooked in the winter months just difference between a couple of dishes what's available and what's not so summer like seasonal food is basically Uh, i think comes from the system that it's got to you've got to eat food that is grown in the season and it's good for your health during that time so in the summer months it's a lot of cooling foods that you eat and in the winter you you can indulge in slightly more heavier uh, mm-hmm. and warming food that you can digest in that weather and mm-hmm. it's also good for you like you know winter will have a lot of fresh green vegetables a lot of ghee a lot of stuff that your body can sort of digest and yeah. require and require also and in the summer we are looking at lighter food that will make you fresh energetic will make you will make you run through the day without feeling lethargic yeah so, because the summer is intense it is extremely intense so could you give me an example of what kind of food or dish is prepared in the summer something that's light uh so basically summer would come down to uh mangoes are heaty yeah. they're wrong for that weather but they they come only in the, in that part of the yeah. year and and my mom always told me she said you know mangoes are an amazing summer addition because in that heat you probably don't want to eat a full meal and your mm-hmm. mango will give you nutrition for the entire meal yeah. you know your fiber your vitamins and everything Absolutely. and then what we do with that remaining mango pulp cup you know when you have the the gutlis and yeah. the The, the seed, seed they squeeze out that into a into a liquor with water and they season that to make a kadi called a fajetu ah. it's, it's a mango spice kadi which has a slight hint of sweetness a touch of mango and you have that with a bowl of rice my god it's the nicest thing you can do light and fresh and it's seasoned with clove and cinnamon and it's got a nice hint of mango so those are like summer things and then you know during the summer there's also my mom used to do something called kanda keri which is freshly grated onions mm-hmm. and freshly grated mango okay raw mango and she'd put jeera in it black salt and a little bit of gud and so that jaggery cumin and black salt 
black salt and it you can serve it with your meal you can have it as a snack with your tape lines in the chunda and what it does is basically cools the system down like mm. onions is very cooling yes it's very cooling and it stays in your fridge you know so even if you're looking for a little like a small snack you probably reach out for that and there's another one that we do which is uh, there's fresh pickle that they do in the summer which means you know we have gujus at this methya ka masala which mm-hmm. has fenugreek and it has it has methi mustard and uh, it has salt chili and sugar and uh, this thing and they mix it with all your fresh vegetables so you can do carrot ka you can do capsicum ka and that adds a lot of uh, this thing to your normal khana so you get this little box a little bottle okay called methya masala and it goes through the year and with whatever vegetable you want to add it to you just sprinkle it on mix it on and then it's adding your zing to your khana without the salt and the oil that pickle does for you how lovely and what about winter dishes like maybe undiu how would you describe undiu undiu for me is very special dish not only because it's special to soms menu but also it's a communal meal mm-hmm. you know you can't make undiu like this in a chota pot for three people it's always a Feast. nice large quantity it's almost like a biryani Yeah. where the prep is very is very big it's very elaborate and uh, the trick is to keep everything looking and tasting fresh and uh, it's got green garlic if you're using it it's got fresh yeah. coriander it's got coconut it's just got a whole bunch of flavors that adds so much to it that uh, my my most favorite dish uh, the gujarati dish okay lovely and i know i love the addition of green garlic because even that is something that comes only in the winter like i add it to all my eggs and actually yeah. add it to everything it's just the mm-hmm. intensity of that garlic flavor is so much more and in a good way it yeah. it, it doesn't uh, overpower or anything so i like that addition of green garlic and to your and the fact that you get it for that short a time makes it even more special yeah na it just feels like oh my god if i don't do something with this now i'm not going to be able to yes. do anything for the whole year yes yes i would actually need it into paratha dough and make just plain garlic parathas oh lovely i like yes. that it's really simple but it's the best way to i mean like it's it's not no, no no thought way to get garlic into your meals yeah and most of the time i find it's the simplest things that turn out to be the most delicious so you don't have to overcomplicate it you just mm-hmm. need two or three ingredients and it's a fantastic dish so you know you were talking about initially you said gujarati food is predominantly a vegetarian cuisine and i see that it's completely especially the menu at soma is completely devoid of meat and seafood but does that extend to all communities that live in gujarat like say for example i know the muslim community does eat a little bit of meat is that correct am i correct in that or so actually gujarat is a state that's part of you know i mean it consists of four three or four regions one of which is kathiawar this surat there's andabad there's kutch and a lot of gujarat has a lot of migrant uh, population that are not local to gujarat but i think we've always been the state that's welcomed other communities you know because if it's yeah. with the hindis that came in from pakistan or the bori muslims that came in from yemen the parsis yeah. that came in from iran and i think they contributed a lot to our cuisine as well as we've learned a lot from theirs So yeah. there is a very heavy meat based uh, I I've also heard of a mutton ka undiu which is for me very surprising but damn innovative I think it's a duck Yeah <laughs> I think the, if I'm not mistaken I think the bori community does a mutton undiu Yes 
yes i was very surprised in yeah. fact i was in kutch a few years ago and they were selling this undiu which was not even a la- green masala wala it was a lal undiu so it is on- only lal masala red so i think even in undia there is a whole you know like a whole bunch of maybe variations like different communities have yes. probably been inspired from yeah. gujarati food when they've yeah. settled in and then sort of tweaked it and made it their own uh, much like what has happened with a lot of parsi dishes yes. you know we've got so heavily influenced by gujarati food that uh, take for example patrel Yeah. It, it, it's it's a typical uh, a Gujarati dish. We have just merrily decided it's a Parsi dish. Finished. Full stop. And we do the same. Strangely, uh, the Maharashtrians would say it's ours. It's not Gujarati yes. at all. Yes, that too. <laughs> so interesting. So yes, there is meat in Gujarat or in certain communities. But when we talk about traditional Gujarati food, it is a vegetarian-based cuisine. Would that my summation be correct? Yes. Okay. you know speaking of this whole take about how traditional gujarati food is predominantly vegetarian i find it really fascinating because i have seen videos and i even know people who have talked to me about this street food vibe and culture that goes on especially in surat and i think ahmedabad and it's wild because yeah. they i mean the amount of cheese that they put into things and they make all these variations and it's all vegetarian i'm i'm thoroughly impressed at the creativity and innovation to you know when what they do and then they mix it and there'll be all sorts of chocolate pudding things and and of, of course it's not nothing is traditional these are all tweaks and takes and um, you know innovations but i do find one thing that strikes me as slightly odd and that is the plethora of egg dishes for a community that necessarily doesn't eat meat and i know there are a lot of gujaratis that do not eat egg but then i find there's this wild uh, surti uh, baida and uh, eggs and uh, just a, um, 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 i think they call, even call it gotala uh, if i'm not mistaken anda gotala yeah anda gotala egg gotala and uh, to me it's funny because a gotala it means the egg with minced meat Oh, okay. actually a gotala is uh, actually gotala means a big mess or a hotchpotch yes. like yes. That, that's the translation but a dish um, when they say oh i want a kheema gotala it means yeah. you add eggs or scra- eggs scrambled into your minced meat so uh, in my head i said the connotation of gotala means meat but even then uh, forget the meat just with the eggs i find this very fascinating so how do you explain that so the best of my knowledge i think this industry has come out of uh, one is exposure to other communities mm-hmm. the presence of migrant labor mm-hmm. you know people from other states coming into gujarat to probably work that are not necessarily vegetarian and uh, also probably uh, because of uh, us traveling and you know more being more accepting to other cuisines and maybe even non vegetarian to a large extent yeah. it's sort of become acceptable and you know i think uh, in so many ways they say are you vegetarian or eggitarian yes <laughs> yes <laughs> you know <laughs> so it's become another phenomena of sorts if you if yeah. you would like to call it 
It's almost like another category. It says, no, I, I'm vegetarian, but I eat eggs. And then I know it's funny. I guess it's funny to us because it sounds silly, but to people, this is how, what they enjoy or what they can or cannot eat. And I know a lot of people will say, I have friends even who are vegetarian and who say, I will eat the egg if it's mixed in something. So for example, if it's in a cake and I can't see it and I don't know it and I can't taste it, I'm okay with it. But if it was say scrambled eggs or uh, eggs with toast, I can't eat that. And I suppose you just have to respect everyone's uh, way of life and, and, and their belief. But I still, it's so interesting to see because the thali is just this elaborate vegetarian fare. And I mean, there's no eggs that are eaten at home, but then you see all these street food stalls with, and they grate the eggs and they put cheese and they put egg on top of egg, which is, I mean, incredibly heavy. <laughs> and then, you know, this blanket of cheese as well, but just so interesting how that has, you know, evolved as well but I suppose like you said it's an influence of everything around and also because I'm thinking I'm not sure but I'm thinking if because if you're living in a place like uh, Gujarat where everything is under the table your alcohol is under the table Mm -hmm. your non-veg is under the table yeah obviously if you can't get it at home you are going to go out yeah and you're going to go to the close to the to the furthest place where you're not going to be caught by somebody to get it but you're still going to eat what you want to eat. Yeah. So for, th- for those listening in and are wondering why it's under the table, it's because alcohol is actually forbidden or banned in Gujarat. It's not easily accessible. And uh, I think it's similar for the meat as well, right? They've predominantly... Recently, yeah, there is very, some changes. Very recently, it's not officially allowed. But I suppose with everything, you know, you like you said, under the table, you find your way through. And that's a completely different story. But... Yes, if it's not easily accessible at home, then you want to eat it outside. And it's a little bit of a treat. Yes. That's great. So what does a meal look like for you at home? What what's what do you eat at home? What is a homemade Gujarati meal? Because I know a thali is super elaborate. I'm not, uh, I don't know if everyone would eat that every day. But what, what would a small, simple me- Gujarati meal look like? So a, thali, a meal at home for me, because I'm married to a North Indian, Mm-hmm. It can be anything from, uh, you know, a basic dal, chawal, roti, sabzi to sometimes when we're feeling like dal, dokli at home or uh, it could be anything at all because I get my guju fix at the restaurant. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I like that you mentioned dal, dokli. Could you explain what that dish is? Gosh, I've had the funnest time explaining that to Rushina and her having to translate that into a menu for Soam and... Uh, you know, trying to explain it to somebody who really had no clue what to do with it. And she came up with the most sweetest way to say she says, you know, they're pasta squares in lentil sauce. <laughs> <laughs> Season pasta squares in a lentil sauce. And I was splitting with laughter. And she said, um, I mean, it, you know, <laughs> actually the most apt way to describe it, I suppose, Indian pasta squares yes, yes. in a lovely lentil sauce, oh. a thick sauce, um, which is the dal and the lovely Indian lentil dal, uh, <laughs> the Indian pasta would be the bokli. Yes. but it's delicious. And I suppose you just have to eat this stuff uh, instead of reading about it and uh, yes. trying to trans. I think stuff gets lost in translation sometimes, but, you know, in essence, it's just all about the taste, really. You know, we don't appreciate it until somebody else tells you it's really good. Oh, yeah. That I find very sad. Yeah. 
But that always happens, right? That always happens. And I think it's interesting you said that because there's you're always so set in what is familiar to you. You know, even when it comes to Indian food, I feel, especially when you go abroad or, or you're out of the country somewhere and someone says, oh, you know, let's let's have an Indian meal. It's always that what you're comfortable with, which is like the few dishes. It, like, for example, the podcast that we're doing is beyond butter chicken because everyone is so comfortable with your butter chicken or with your dal or say your dosa, or, you know, just like the five, six uh, things, but you don't necessarily know. And it's only when someone else comes and says, listen, this is fantastic fantastic why don't you go a little bit and explore beyond and it's only then you sort of dip your toes into that and then suddenly once it's you know you get the taste for it you're just like wow why, wow. why didn't I try this before, before. you know Correct. but I'm hoping that that happens after listening to your episode and everyone then comes and rushes to the restaurant and says I want to meet Pinky and I want to try my uh, pasta lentil pasta in lentil sauce <laughs> Rushida is going to kill me. <laughs> no, I think it's fantastic. I think she's done a bang up job. <laughs> okay, so I like to ask this question to everyone. And again, there's no right or wrong answer. But to you, what do you think is that one dish that really sums up Gujarati food? For me, it would be kichri and curry. Okay, why is that? I think it's comfort cooking. It's simple. Mm-hmm. It's not complicated. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's a, it a, literally it appeals to most people who are not anti kitchery, <laughs> and uh, it's a nutritious meal. I think it's no fun. Yeah, and is it something that you also personally enjoy having? I love it much to my <laughs> family's dismay. <laughs> Yeah, because it's it's very basic, right? A kitchen would be like a mix of dal and rice and certain vegetables. And for us, this is stuff we eat normally. And yes. in fact, for most people eat kitchen when they're unwell. Like that's yes. the staple that's given to especially yes. a child when he says, yes. oh, I'm not feeling well. They're like, here, have some kitchen. So if I think for you to say that's something that you adore, I can understand why your family is just like, oh, of all the things. <laughs> but you know what I like about the kitchen meal is the adventure that goes around it. It's that lovely two kinds of papar, the little pickle that goes with mm. it and all the other fuss that happens with it. It's the condiments that it's excite you more than anything else. <laughs> so you can always play with your meal and make it different yeah. each time. And you know you're you're going to be solid. You're not going to have a tummy upset the next day. Oh yeah. And you're going to be happy. <laughs> and I think that's really the trademark for uh, Gujarati cuisine, right? Like it's always the uh, supporting acts so you'll have your main dish which is the hero but it's really the fun is in the supporting cast which yes. would be the, the papad or the pickle or the little farsan or the snacks or a side dish and it's all the condiments on the sides everyone dancing around the main yes. dish yes. that sort of mixes in and I think this is very distinct right because of course we talked about the thali and it being a slightly more elaborate meal or even if you went to a restaurant but even if you ate at home and you shrunk that thali of say 10 or 12 things down to even six you would still have a side supporting cast of pickle and little onion and not even one pickle you're different types of pickle and chutney and some cooling curd and a a yogurt of some sort and I think that is really the essence of how many you know the orchestra of things that goes around it is actually the fun part yeah and I think it's the essence of the cuisine right like because without that it's incomplete 
No, it's it, absolutely. It's the heart of it. Yeah, I love that. So any early memories of food for you that you'd like to share with us? Maybe something that you grew up with that you kind of remember and look back at fondly and say, oh, you know, that or a dish that reminds you of something from your childhood. So Roxanne, I had a sort of a mixed upbringing. I grew up in a place called Mableshwar, mm-hmm. where my parents used to run a hotel. They still do. Which and, one? Uh, it's called Fountain Hotel. And they they took it over from a Parsi couple that uh, did not want to, they wanted to retire. And, you know, I grew up uh, during the time when they were teaching my parents how to run a hotel because my parents were not uh, from the same business. And I remember, you know, these very nice fancy four-course meals coming out served to, you know, guests that came to the hotel. And it was really, really very fancy because it was overlooking this lovely valley and white damask tablecloths and you know and then over the years I remember dad uh, sort of also introduced the Gujarati thali into our dining room so we had a a non like an Indian dining and we had a continental dining so there was a lot of exposure growing up and then I remember my mom because we were in Mableshwar and there wasn't that much vegetables coming in the transport system wasn't very great my mom used to sit in the in in one plot where she had taken it upon herself to grow bhaji, like you know. Oh wow! That we wouldn't get on uh, on transport from Bombay, and uh, we would sit and do our homework in the fields, and snack would be a tomato pulled out of the farm and strawberries in the season. Oh, Mabesh was known for its strawberry season. So I remember, lovely. you know, those are my happiest happiest times. I mean, doing homework in a field, and my daughter always tells me, "You're really silly." to have left all that and come to Bombay mama I have to agree with her my goodness but I think this also maybe laid the foundation for you because you've sort of got this uh, little bug of you know catering or or restauranting uh, I suppose from that because now you run uh, Soam which is just fantastic I have Um, learned from my parents yeah Roxanne I'm blessed yeah. And it's wonderful because Som has really become a household name, uh, whether you want to agree or not. I'm telling you as the outsider. And it has so many people coming in. I mean, you've got your regular crowd, but you also have, you know, sort of celebrity chefs. Like I know the entire crew judging panel for MasterChef Australia is obsessed with your restaurant. Yeah. Uh, I know that because they, they drop the name in every interview and it, you know, it makes us proud. We're like, yeah, and considering I live five minutes away from Soam, I'm even happier because I'm like, oh my God, these <laughs> fancy people came to my hood. Um, and I think even David Chan it there if I'm not mistaken and and a whole bunch of people which we've is just Danielle Hum we've had Massimo's wife yeah very sweet people I mean it's amazing to see them appreciate our cuisine that is that was literally going to be my question what must it feel like to have people like Daniel Hum and all these great you know celebrity chefs from all over the world who are being celebrated and you know sort of revered and then they come to your restaurant and you feed them your food you know, and, and what, what is that like when they enjoy it or what's their reaction and, and how does that make you feel? I'm humbled. I can't tell you how humbled I am and extremely proud that my team puts together such a lovely effort each time, not just for celebrity guests, but yeah. also for our really special everyday guests. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's a team effort. I could not do it by myself. And when you see all these chefs come through, the basic thing that you realize is that they're all nice normal hard working people with the love yeah. of food yeah yeah and it's so nice to see you know like 
uh, one chef would be completely gaga over a dosa. And then there was Gary who said, you know, I love that hint of asafoetida and the pani puri. And I'm like, <laughs> really? You know about asafoetida? <laughs> Never did you think a fancy chef would be praising Hing. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I was shocked. I think Bob's that. But that's wonderful. That's just really, really wonderful. My last question, really, and this chat has been great. I know we've just sort of, you know, touched the tip of the iceberg when it comes to Gujarati food, but it's been such a lovely introduction to it. I want to ask you, what is next in store for you, Pinky, personally? And what is next in store for Som? So for me, I'm enjoying the ride. I have no major preset plans I've just gone with the flow for so many years and going to continue to do that to live a happy you know sort of a nice happy peaceful situation and yeah with regard to Som I think I'm happy with the little baby that we have which is called Som at home Mm -hmm. and that's something that's uh, you know been a lockdown project for all of us while it's the world has gone through a very difficult time and uh, learning the basics of retail as well as managing quality for a range of products we are not used to doing yeah and also understanding you know the value that we have in our cuisine and uh, to to help somebody cultivate that love for Mm-hmm. which is not factory made or pre-made or doesn't come out of a of a box or a or a packet yeah so we're trying to keep it as home-like as possible and uh, we're learning new tricks of the trade and you're enjoying that loving it that's fantastic thank you so so much for this pinky this was a great chat thank you for being on the podcast if you guys are in mumbai and you have not eaten at som i suggest you rectify that right away or you could get in touch with them for a little bit of som at home if you're going to visit mumbai at some point of course i highly recommend a meal at som it'll give you a fantastic insight into some gujarati cuisine and then of course if pinky's around you can go meet her and say hey i heard you on this really fun podcast you were great (laughs) just joking um but you can meet her and you can um enjoy a meal there thank you so much pinky this was fab thank you for having me roxanne and thank you so much for you know the love you've given us and the cuisine for the cuisine that in the work that we do oh my absolute pleasure you deserve it 100 thanks so much If you enjoyed this podcast, you can tune in every week for a brand new episode where I talk to another expert and delve into a different aspect of Indian cuisine. You can listen to more episodes of the Beyond Butter Chicken podcast on Spotify, Apple Music or any of your favorite podcast platforms. And make sure to follow us at Mammoth Media Publishing and The Tiny Taster for more updates. Until next time.